Amen. If you have uh, elementary age kids or below, we'd love to be a part of what we have going on with our buying kids time. You can go out this side door here or towards the back. And our Vine Kids team heading out there with Miss Cherry would love to be a part of your kiddos' lives. So several of you have asked, so we've got this, we don't, we don't have a lot of treasures here at the Vine Community Church, um, but we have this great new cross. And actually, it's a fascinating story. Um, last night, Hannah Nemechek and Cooper Davis got married here, and uh, they've been long time, kind of long time. I mean, not all of us are that long time, but long time members enough here to be around for a few years. We did their wedding last night and it was wonderful and amazing. And Hannah's dad uh, made this. She said, dad, I want as a centerpiece for our wedding, I want there to be a, a gospel centered wedding. And, and both Cooper and Hannah have such a heartbeat for the Lord, but they want to be gospel centered. So her dad contacted this guy up in the Northeast off Craigslist and he shipped him all this old barn wood and her dad made it by hand. Um, And he was telling me last night, or actually at the rehearsal on Friday, he was telling me that as he was making it, he just kept becoming overwhelmed with emotion, thinking about what Jesus had actually done for him. And he had been a believer his whole life, but it wasn't until he started actually physically forming this kind of cross that he began to realize exactly what Jesus did. And he said he was just sort of overcome with emotion. And so on Saturday, he said, I don't really want to haul it home. Do you guys, and before he could say want it, I was like, yeah, we'll take it, man. Anything you want to got? Sure. So, uh, so we get to keep it, right? And so I just grabbed it real quick. So uh, super awesome. And uh, we're really excited about it. And it, it, is, it is a centerpiece for us as well, because of course, everything we do here as a community is, is gospel centric, right? It, it is circulating around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is really where we are this morning. I mean, we're sitting on the edge of a new year. 2017 is over today and 2018 is coming. And for a lot of us, and, and, and rightly so, it represents a lot of things. It represents the opportunity for a new beginning, a fresh start, starting over, making some changes. All right, an old year is coming, an old year is leaving, and a new year is coming. And it presents this sort of, this idea that we can make changes. And so a lot of us make New Year's resolutions as an attempt to sort of change a piece of our life that will have a profound impact on the whole. And I read an article yesterday that there was a data mining company that um, took last year and they looked at all the Google search queries and they came up for that whole year with what people are searching for the most about their lives and kind of named them the top sort of resolutions or New Year's resolutions that people made this past year and that will feed into this, this next year. And they basically said that it came out to about 63 million people searched for the idea of how to get healthy. Uh, about 33 million people searched for how to get organized and about 18 searched for how to live life to the fullest. And so they kind of wrote this article, this company wrote this kind of data and, and they put it together and this article came out and saying that the New Year's resolutions, the top ones, are, are really fall into that category of, I wanna be healthier, I'm gonna make some changes to become healthier, I'm, I'm gonna get more organized and I'm going to live life to the fullest. And, and truthfully, any one of those, I mean, if I were to ask any of you, we could get behind any of those, like who doesn't wanna be more healthy or more organized or live life to the fullest? And I would bet to say that if any of us were making New Year's resolutions, one of those in some form or fashion or little variants of that would be something that we wanted to accomplish in 2018. Well, the same article goes on, article goes on to say that actually only 8% of Americans actually achieve even one of their New Year's resolutions, right? So we all have these incredible desires for new things, but only 8% of us will even accomplish one of them. And, and for us, I think a lot of times we do a resolution or an idea because we think that if we can just change this one thing, that will have a profound impact on the whole. 
So if I can adjust this one area of my life, I can get a little healthier or I can get a little bit more organized or I can seize more of life, then, then it will have an effect on my overall happiness and therefore have a profound effect on the whole, our attempt to change the bigger picture by changing one or two of those things. And when I read that little piece that only 8% of us will even accomplish one, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a Debbie Downer and, and all that, but it got me thinking about sort of the amazing consistent nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have this new year, right? But we've got this same beautiful message that has been timeless and never changes. And we're all looking for something fresh and something new and something alive. And the gospel is so beautifully all of those things, but it's consistently timeless. And so I thought this morning what we do is in light of sort of standing here on New Year's Eve and our big New Year's Eve service, that we would talk about the timeless nature of the gospel because it is, it changes everything and it affects who we are. And so we're going to look at one of my favorite passages in scripture this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to explore not only the timeless nature of the gospel, but how that nature should change us as a community and who we are. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 16, and we're going to go down through 20, and we're going to explore both who we are and who we are called to be through this gospel message. So let's take a moment, let's pray together, and then we'll dive in there together this morning. Lord, I am grateful to draw breath on the eve of another year. I'm grateful, Lord, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. I'm grateful, Lord, that with each morning that we wake up, your mercy is brand new. I'm grateful, Lord, that you've done for us that what we could never do for ourselves. That through the person of Jesus Christ, you have given us life and you have given us your promise of grace and faithfulness. And so, Lord, this morning as we sit here um, and we explore your word, God, I pray that you would bring us back to the simplicity and the calling of the gospel. We don't have to change all of these things in our life to feel better, but instead, God, if we could understand what it is that you've done for us, it would change everything that we see and know. Take a moment in your own heart, just as you sit here, and just ask the Lord to teach you something, something fresh and something new from the timeless message of the gospel. Just ask the Lord to work in your heart this morning. Take a moment and pray for someone around you. Pray for your family or your husband or your wife or that person sitting next to you you don't know or the person behind you or in front of you, even if you don't know their name. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds this morning is not about you. Pray that God would move in someone else. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and exalted as we read your word and as we explore the timeless nature of the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' perfect and holy name. Amen. So this little section of scripture has been one of my favorites for a long, long, long time. In fact, it was one of the first passages of scripture I ever memorized because wrapped up in it is everything um, that Christ has done for us and how it should change the way that we see the world. And so when I think about the gospel and the gospel messages we're going to explore this morning, Paul really captures it in this letter to the church in Corinth to try and explain to them what Jesus has done for them and how it should change their own calling. So let's take a look at it together, and then we'll just kind of walk through it. We're going to start in verse 16. So from now on, 
We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you then on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Then he goes on to say, for God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And And the passage is really powerful because Paul is laying something very specific out to the church in Corinth. And he's basically telling them this from the beginning. He's saying, listen, we are compelled to see the world differently now, right? So we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, though we once did and though we once even regarded Christ in this way. And what Paul's saying to the church is like, listen, once we've been saved, our entire outlook changes, We can no longer see people through the lens of the world. We can no longer see Christ through the worldly lens. We have been changed, made new. We have a new set of eyes and a new way of looking at the world. And we can no longer see people, the world, or Jesus in the way that we used to. Everything changes. The gospel changes our outlook on the entire world. The world does not recognize its need for a Savior. Right? The world does not recognize it is an enemy with God at war with all of God's holiness. But Paul says we are compelled to think differently about people and the world and even Christ. He said at one time we even regarded Christ from this worldly point of view. In other words, we thought he was a good teacher or he was this kind of person or we were going to kill him. We regarded him from the world's eyes seeing Jesus as a threat. But he says, we've been compelled now that we know the gospel, that Jesus has rescued us through God's grace to see the world differently. We're compelled to see it differently. And because of that, we recognize that we have been completely changed, right? That verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So our our compelled nature recognizes that we have been made completely new. And the fancy theological term for that is the idea or the word regenerate or to be regenerated. We have been completely made new. It's not that we have been recovered or repolished or recovered you know, kind of changed a little bit. We have been regenerated or made completely new. Paul says we have no way to see the world the same because we no longer are of the world. We can no longer see Jesus the way we saw him because that old way of life doesn't see that way anymore, right? So we have been, we have been compelled by the gospel because we've been changed. Now I say all that to get us to this one place. That in a nutshell is the idea of reconciliation. So the idea of reconciliation is wrapped up in the notion that we have been made new and it has changed everything about us, including how we see the world and how we see Jesus. And Paul goes on in verse 18 to talk about this idea of reconciliation. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. You know what it means to reconcile? I think I've mentioned this before. It's my favorite definition of this word, and it is to bring back to harmony with. So the idea of reconcile, to be reconciled, is to bring back 
to harmony with. And I love this definition because what it says is this, God did not just desire through Christ to save you or to save me. He desired to bring your life and your heart back to harmony with his. Because sin, because we are so broken and we are so at war with God's holiness that we have a disharmony with God. We have a broken harmony. We are created to be at one heartbeat with the Lord. Yet sin has disrupted and shattered that. And we have been in disharmony and it's evidence through all of creation. And God, through the person of Jesus Christ, has desired and through him has brought us back, has reconciled, has brought our hearts back to harmony with his. And this blows me away because if you think about it, right, God did, just not, did not just want to save you, but he wanted to bring your broken, disharmony heart back to his. That the heartbeat of us, right, mine, yours, would beat it one with the heartbeat of God, which is an incredible picture. A lot of times we think that as sinful people, God just saved us so that we could have eternal life. Like that's the entire message of the cross. But really, the message of the cross is wrapped up in deep, extravagant love of a God that desires you to know him and be found in him and have your heart beat at one with his because eternal life does not begin when you die, but begins in this very breath. And the God of the universe says, I want you to know my heart. And therefore he reconciles or brings us back to harmony with him. Now, a couple things about this idea of reconciliation that are there in verse 18, which are really powerful, right? The death of Jesus, it reconciles us to God. But he says that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Two really important things there. All this idea of reconciliation is from God. In other words, as I've said many, many times over in here, you cannot do anything to earn it. If it is from God, it is not from you. You don't find your way to the cross or find your way into a relationship with Jesus. You don't go seeking philosophically or through whatever kind of knowledge or emotional movements you want to make and go, you know what, I found myself to God. And now I'm a Christian, I'm a believer because I've searched all other things. No, reconciliation is from God to humanity. That all this is from God. You did nothing to earn God's grace, his favor, or his merit. All this is from him. You left up to your own devices, me left up to my own devices, leads straight to death. The Bible's very clear that we are not simply dying, but we are dead. And there is nothing that we can do to remedy it. So God, in his infinite, incredible, extravagant love, did what we could not do for ourselves, and he reconciled you. He brought you through the person of Jesus Christ back to harmony with him. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. God is this constant pillar. He doesn't waive or compromise or meet us halfway. Right? God doesn't wait for you to do your best and then reach down and sort of compromise who he is to pull you up the rest of the way. God, in his constant, perfect holiness, steps into humanity and brings you to him. And how does he do that? By redeeming your broken life, substituting Jesus, right? His glory for your sin. The substitution on the cross that takes the righteousness of God and exchanges it for your dirty death. And God brings you to him through the person of Jesus Christ. This is the picture of what Christ's death did. It reconciles your brokenness, your disharmony, to the harmony and the heartbeat of God. 
and it brings it back, and you did nothing, and God didn't move. Now, those are really important theological things to understand because God is holy and constant and perfect, and you and I are sinful and broken and dead. Yet God loved you and loved me in all of my sinful, disastrous ways, the things that I've done over the years, the things that I've done yesterday, all of my sin, all of my misgiving, all of my lies, all of my dirtiness, all of my brokenness and death, God covers and exchanges for his glory through the person of Jesus Christ. And he regenerates me and you so that we become brand new. And he brings our hearts back to harmony with his, right? Who is constant and holy through the person of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus reconciles us to God. And the reason this is so timeless and so amazing is because we skip all of this so often because we, we want to get on with sort of the life um, movements of the Bible that teach about fun, really great stuff. And a lot of times we forget this incredible exchange that God has made, but it is timeless and beautiful, and it is the gospel message. But there's something really cool about this call of reconciliation that is not just about what God did, but what he calls us to. And the second part of that text actually tells us that if the death of Jesus reconciles us to God, then God gives us this ministry of reconciliation. So in God's economy, the reconcilers, the reconciled become the agent of reconciliation, which is really, really amazing. And what we're going to learn here is that God has given you and I a call. Once we have been reconciled, he has given us a call to be the agents of reconciliation to the world. Listen to those verses in verse 19. He says this, that if any of us, right, have been reconciled, right, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, It's really, really an amazing thought that in all of our broken sinfulness that God regenerates us and makes us new. And in his economy, he takes the the reconciled and makes them agents of reconciliation and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. What that means is a couple of things. One, it means, believe it or not, that you are a minister, right? Now, don't panic. You don't have to have big hair and some three-piece suit, although it doesn't hurt, right? And, and the idea of being a minister, if, if you are one, means that you are the one now that gets to pray at all your family gatherings, which is really cool, right, at Thanksgiving. And you talk to a stranger, and they immediately tell you why they've been to church in like three weeks because life's really busy and whatnot. And then they apologize for saying the word crap, which you, of course, never have heard or have ever used. Those are sort of all of the perks that go with being a minister. But the gospel is really clear you are a minister. You know the church actually doesn't have a singular minister. It's not me. It's not Brandon. The church is actually made up of ministers. Every member of the church, big C, is a minister or an agent of reconciliation because we've been given a ministry. If you have been given a ministry by God, by definition, you are a minister, right? So if God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, you therefore are a minister. It is not somebody else's job to be the proclaimer of the reconciliation of Christ. It is yours. It is not mine alone. It is ours together as a community of Christ followers to be agents of reconciliation because we've been given a ministry, 
right? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore ministers. You, like it or not, are a minister of the gospel. As someone that has been redeemed, reconciled, you have now been given the call to be an agent of reconciliation in the world. So you are a minister. But more than that, Paul also tells us that you are an ambassador. So not only are you a minister, but you are an ambassador. And that word meant then exactly what it means now, which is you are a representation of that nation, if you will, to the watching world. So you become the carrier of its message, and you are the face of that nation to the world, and you carry its agenda and its mission. As an ambassador, that is who you are. What Paul says is that you and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, which means we are carrying the message, right, and the face of the gospel everywhere that we go. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. What that means is that you don't get to cease being an ambassador depending on where you are that day, which is how a lot of us live in our Christian lives. We show up at church on Sunday. We very much play the role of ambassador and minister. We go out on Friday. We do whatever we do on other places, and we very much switch that role for something else. Most of us have this picture that we play with on Sunday, and then when it comes to the relationships we're in, we have very different pictures of who we are. But the truth is, if you really believe what this gospel message says, that you've been reconciled and redeemed, your call as a minister and ambassador is not one you get to exchange. It's not one you take on and off like a, a suit or a coat, depending on whether it's hot or cold. As an ambassador, it's who you are as you eat and breathe and draw life. You don't cease to be one because you've gone to a new location. You are the face and representation. You are the message of reconciliation to the world at every moment, at every place, at your children's school, at your workplace, right? With your friends, when you're here, when you're overseas, because you've been redeemed and reconciled, you are a minister and an ambassador every moment of your life. Now, most of us don't like Christianity like that. We like Christianity that fits into our comfortable pockets and we pull it out when we need to and when it's convenient and when we feel really bad. And we call upon God to forgive us and we want enough of Christ, right, to believe that there's something bigger but not enough of Christ to actually make us change anything. But if we truly believe this message, that God has, has brought us back from death, that he has brought our harmony hearts in harmony with his. It should change not only how we see the world, how we see people, how we see ourselves, but we'd recognize that therefore we have been called now because we've been redeemed and changed to be that agent of proclamation to the entire world. Because if this is what God has done for me, how do I not want the entire world, every breathing soul to know this goodness? How could I not desire that for them? How could I watch as people steeped in death continue to walk down that trail of death, yet I know the resurrected Christ, yet today I just don't feel like living as an ambassador? Are you kidding? This truth changes everything. Paul says we no longer see the world the way we did. We are ambassadors and we are ministers. And we've been given a very specific message, right? Very specific message. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though he were making his appeal through us. Right? We implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The message is very simple and it's very clear. Humanity is sinful and broken. We are in disharmony with God. We are in desperate need of a Savior. So God, in his infinite glory and incredible redemptive plan for humanity, sent his son Jesus to die and redeem us. And he gave us this message, be reconciled to God. The amazing thing about that message, be reconciled, is that it's passive, right? Be reconciled does not have action on your part. Be reconciled means to accept what has already happened, the reconciliation that God has already offered. You don't perform to do this reconciliation. You simply be reconciled, meaning that I just have to accept and believe that God has reconciled me to the person of Jesus Christ. It is a passive movement that says, God, I believe in what you have done for me. And as followers of Christ, our message is to proclaim that truth. You are simply a mouthpiece of reconciliation. You are not the reconciler. You are not leading anyone to Christ. It's a terrible theology. John 6, says that only God draws men unto himself. He may allow you to be present when God does something amazing, but you are not the agent of reconciliation. You are the proclaimer, right? The agent that proclaims the reconciliation that God has done and will do. This becomes our call together. It's a very clearly defined message upon which we are ministers and ambassadors for. That the world out there and even in here is dying. Dying in their sin. And we're Google searching how to get organized. And we have a world around us that is dying without Jesus. Part of the call of the church should be how do we get into people's lives to tell them about what Jesus has done in mine. I am a minister and an ambassador and an agent of of proclaiming reconciliation. And then finally, what all this means is that the church, you and I, this, this thing that we have here, should be fighting for reconciliation at every moment, at every breath. The world that we live in is marked by brokenness. It's marked by disharmony. Sin has interrupted everything. It's broken everything. And sin at its root is in the deepest recesses of the human heart. There are broken relationships everywhere that you look. Man with creation, right? People against people, socioeconomic, racial, gender, you name it. And we have broken harmony. And the church, right, that has been reconciled by God to himself should be agents of reconciliation, fighting for the marginalized and oppressed, fighting for reconciliation of races and genders and socioeconomic groups and nations. We should be fighting constantly for reconciliation because God is a God of bringing back to harmony. And that harmony does not mean that we all get along and we hold hands and we sit around and we all get our political views all tied together. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the reconciliation is the brokenness of human hearts. And what we fight for as believers is the reconciliation of hearts first, that you would understand what Jesus has done for you. Because if you do, and you surrender to that, what happens? 
It changes the way that you see the world, right? Paul says it compels us to see the world differently. If somebody recognizes and surrenders to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it will change the way they see the world. Reconciliation begins not when we compromise on political views, but when we recognize the death in our own hearts and our own need for a savior. Then reconciliation begins to happen. Because we can't reconcile to each other without reconciling the sin in our own hearts. And that comes only from God to himself. But the church should be actively fighting for it at every turn and at every corner and at every moment. That we'll be fighting to bring humanity back to harmony with God. This message is completely timeless and it's beautiful. That God has reconciled us to himself through the death of Jesus Christ. He did it and he brought us back to him and he exchanged our death for his holiness. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That we are both ministers and ambassadors. We are ministers because we've been given a ministry. And we are ambassadors because in God's economy, he uses his reconciled agents as proclaimers of reconciliation. And we've been given a very clear message to tell the world to be reconciled. That God has done a movement to surrender to that movement and watch harmony be brought back to its creator. So whatever you want to change in 2018, I implore you, go for it. Move, do whatever it takes. But recognize the timeless nature of the gospel is the only thing that will satisfy. It is the only thing that will bring peace. Making one movement, trying to change the whole of your life will never bring your heart peace until you surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ first. Getting organized, getting healthy, living life to the fullest matters in no way compared to surrendering to the gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then, and only then, can we bring about bringing harmony and peace and rest. And then in God's great, incredible way, we chase healthiness and organization and living life to the fullest because we've started with what matters first. Bringing my heart, or having God bring my heart back to harmony with his. And now my chase for health and my chase for organization, well, they're rooted in the right places because I know they won't make me happy. I've already been made that way by having my heart reconciled to God. And now I get to do these things right, to be a better agent, a better communicator, a better minister of the gospel. Because my hope is not found that if I declutter my closet, life will be better. My hope is found in Jesus alone, right? He is my constant. So whatever you change this year, make sure you begin with what matters and saying, God, I want to be reconciled to you. Free me from the oppression. Free me from the lies. Free me from all of those things that have tied me down. And reconcile me, bring me back to harmony with your heart. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for just the simple, timeless nature of the gospel. That we can try and do a whole lot of things to change the whole. We can doctor the surface, we can make some adjustments, but really nothing is going to change until we begin with the root of our heart that you, you have called us to be at harmony with you. In fact, God, only have you called us, God, you have given us through Jesus Christ the opportunity to be saved, to be redeemed, to be rescued, that if we surrender our lives to you, Lord, 
you would draw us back into accord that our hearts would beat with yours. And I know for a lot of us in here, that's the last way we think about our lives in Christ, that our heartbeat is beating at one with you. Oftentimes we feel like our hearts are beating in opposite directions or my anxiety or my worry or my fear are driving me in this direction. But God, the truth is you want our hearts to beat with yours. You want the things that matter to you to matter to us. You want to draw us from death to life. And you want to set us on a path by which we proclaim that death to life to the entire world. You are the constant. You are the reconciler. And you have called us to become ministers because you've given us a message of ministry. And God, you have called us ambassadors because we are the agents to proclaim your reconciliation to the world. And that doesn't change based on where we live or where we go or what day of the week it is. It is a constant call on the life of a follower of Christ. And then God is a church that we might rise up and fight for reconciliation, not compromise and hand-holding and tolerance, but reconciliation of broken, sinful hearts around the world. That we would fight for the oppressed and the marginalized, that we would fight for those, God, that are broken and hurting, and that, God, we would fight that you would reconcile this broken world to you. And so, Lord, you are calling us. You are deeply calling us. Lord, I pray that this year we would hear that call, we would heed that call, and it would change who we are. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and close our time and worship.